This is Man Afraid of Everything. In 2016, I was 34 years old, and I was afraid of doing stand-up comedy. It's August 3rd, 2016. I'm on my way to check out my very first open mic at Goldie's Pub in Chicago. I chickened out on Sunday because I freaked out and I couldn't do it. So, it's Wednesday. I'm going to try it again. Uh, I've recited my lines probably a thousand times and trying to memorize all of the jokes because that's the only part I can control. But I'm still anxious. I'm worried about hecklers getting booed for getting my lines, not knowing anybody there. What time do I go up? because I don't know anybody's names. How do I know when I fall in the set? I told myself I was just gonna go and check it out and see what it's like, because I have to always know everything before I go into a situation. I can't just wing it. But we'll see how it goes. I don't know, we'll see if I sign up. I'll maybe- In one and a half miles, take exit 44A for Keeler Avenue toward Irving Park Road, Illinois 19. Well, there you go. See, I have proof. All right, we'll see how this goes. I made it downtown early and used the bathroom at Trader Joe's. I bought something, and the checkout guy asked what I was up to. I'm doing an open mic. A younger customer heard me and was like, Right on. Maybe I can do this. Random people at a grocery store were excited for me. Outside of Goldie's Pub, there was a placard. Open mic night. Inside was a one-room tavern. A bar stretched down the right-hand side and around the corner. A few tall tables with tall chairs were on the left. There was a small stage at the back of the room, against an exposed brick wall that said, Goldies. There was a notepad on the bar. I signed up. My classmate Elliot was tending bar and offered me a drink. I had a Coke. After glancing at my surroundings, I went to the bathroom. The door opened into the main room and didn't lock. It barely even closed. If you were on the toilet and someone opened the door, everyone would see you in the bar. It was terrible. I'm glad I went to Trader Joe's. The host welcomed everyone and started rattling off names. Everyone got five minutes, which is a really, really long time to be up there when you're first starting out. We were only doing three minutes in class. The host waved his phone's flashlight around to let comics know they only had a minute left. I sat through a ton of comics. The crowd was huge and intimidating at first. Comics told jokes about relationships, people pleasuring themselves at work, and incest. I was baffled. I had jokes about UPS and Amazon. As the place started to empty out, I kept reciting my jokes over and over in my head until I heard Before you go to sleep. And then when you wake up, you're gonna find them. 
every single time. You ever have anybody come up to you and say, hey, you're Jen Stillman. You're the best. Me. <laughs> I don't think I'd be a very good ghost because uh, I'm kind of shy and I don't talk very much. So people wouldn't even know that they were being haunted. I just hide in a corner and scare them because I'm behind the door. Or I just disappear into the background. I wish there were more TV shows about solvent crimes. There's kind of enough of that. Um, if I was rich and it was really hot outside, I'd probably hire a helicopter to fly above me as I walk down the street. Nice and cool. Nice and cool. Um, It's 11.30. I went up about 45 minutes ago. A lot of people left. There was only a handful of people still in the room. And I was still so nervous that I forgot a lot of my jokes. And I had to pull out the paper and read my jokes off of the paper. But... My first open mic is done. It was weird. There weren't very many people still left in the room because I went up like 23rd or something like that. And a lot of people did their thing and then they dipped out and that was it. But the people who stayed, they, they really liked the guillotine joke. I think that's my favorite joke so far anyway. The, the inventor of the guillotine found success in both the idea and the execution. glad that one works but the rest of them it's hard to tell if it hit because uh, you get little chuckles you know and like Elliot said it's a crowd full of comedians so you don't know how a different type of audience would react to something like that and the rooms are always different so it's encouraging but like I still didn't feel like that really that endorphin rush like it wasn't there like, I thought just being up there would, like, and doing it would make me more excited than I was. And maybe I'm just really tired and was expecting to go up earlier because I had sat there since 8.30. I didn't go up until, like, 10.45, I think. But maybe I was just drained from just trying to remember it because I kept going through this set in my head the whole time thinking I was going to go up. I'd take my phone out, I'd start recording, and then I wasn't next. And then I'd take my phone out. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was crazy. Like, it's exciting after the fact. Like, during it, it was like, it didn't feel, I felt nothing, really. Like, I just was blinded by the light, I couldn't remember the lines, and then it was basically over. Back in 2010, I watched a movie called I Am Comic. Rich Scheidner was a veteran comedian trying to get back into doing stand-up after taking a break for more than a decade. How'd that's feel, yeah, man? That's, that's, yeah, it, oh, it felt great. It, it felt, felt great. Because, yeah, it riffed, because the riffs all that mattered. It, was, it felt great. It felt great. 
I mean, it was like everything, you know, when you get back into doing it and you're getting those laughs, all of a sudden it just comes off the top of your head and you start playing with the room and they're laughing. And then some of the jokes that actually worked. And I didn't even want to come down here tonight. I was hoping against hope you would call me up and go, I can't make it tonight or whatever. You know, electric car didn't charge it, whatever was your thing. And now I'm going to work on it because I really do want to do stand up again. Woo! Back in the day. What? Back in the day, drink, I'd have to have a drink, blow, I'd have to do some women. blow, I'd have to hit on women, I'd have to keep this high going. Coming down from the high right now is the hardest thing. It's like, it's like just settling down, and I'm not even close to that right now. I mean, I am, I am revved up. I can feel it up my spine. I'm revved. When you started oh. riffing, you were Rich Eidner, man. Yeah. You were in your element. Yeah, I felt it. I felt it. I, you know what? I, re I didn't realize how much I missed this, man. I really didn't realize how much I missed this. I mean, it felt like a, a cloud, just like, the cloud that were over my head, gone. Gone. I mean, I had to go on like antidepressants to make up for not doing stand-up. I bet you money, I'm off antidepressants in a month if I just start doing stand-up again. I wanted to feel that. I wanted to know what that felt like. Maybe I wasn't in the moment enough to truly appreciate what was happening, but I didn't feel that much of a rush after my open mic. Then again, I, I didn't get a lot of laughs. Maybe more laughs makes it feel more intense? I asked my friend Jimmy Chung if he felt a rush performing. It was such a rush where it was almost a blur. You know, just being up there and standing up in front of people and saying, I prepared for this. Man, that was a rush. But when people may have laughed at a joke that I, I wrote and practiced and refined over some time and people laughed at that. Um, it was rewarding. I wouldn't say a rush. I, I would say like, wow, that was a great payoff. But I didn't have time to react and, and pat myself on the back in the middle of it. I just had to keep going. I think I put too much faith into getting a rush. I thought it would force me into hitting a bunch of open mics to work out my style, delivery, and material. I thought it would be a reward for subjecting myself to awkward, uncomfortable, scary situations. Instead, I was learning, you have to be a bit of a masochist. There's no way around it. When you're just starting out, the goal is to develop a tight five minutes. You could use that material to open at real clubs. The trouble is, millions of other people want to play real clubs too. After seven classes, we were ready for our stand-up showcase. One night only, we each got five minutes to tell jokes for friends and family on stage at Second City. The show was in the DeMott Theater, an intimate cabaret space with a surprisingly colorful stage set against a fake brick wall. I was nervous, but I also felt kind of calm. I knew my set. All I had to do was get up there and tell my jokes and do the motions. I had obsessively rehearsed my routine. The week before, I spent my nights pacing around in a basement holding an unplugged microphone with a cable running through jokes with my girlfriend, trying to memorize everything perfectly. The night of the show, I had my trusty water bottle. I sat in the crowd and laughed as Chris hosted and my classmates pulled off their material. As I sat in the dark, 
I ran through my set list in my head. They say you're not supposed to show weakness on stage. Ghosts, you're the best. Bathroom attendant, it was time. So they say uh, you're not supposed to show any kind of weakness on stage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure how to avoid doing that. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, you're Jed Stoneham. You're the best. Me <laughs> if I was a ghost, I don't think I'd be very good at it. I'm kind of shy, I don't like talking much, so people wouldn't even know that they were being haunted. <laughs> I would just disappear into the background. Does a bathroom attendant have to wash his hands before returning to work? <laughs> <laughs> so, we should use the velocity of our urine to power more things. <laughs> you go to the bathroom, it spins a wheel that generates electricity. And then when we're all driving electric cars instead of gas stations, we can just have a bunch of toilets with spinning piss wheels. <laughs> if I was rich and it was really hot outside, I'd hire a helicopter to fly above me as I walked around the city streets. Nice and cool, nice and cool. <laughs> What's that? I, I can't hear you. You're gonna have to speak up. Yes, that's my helicopter. <laughs> I'm sorry your dog blew away. It's just so hot. I'll, I'll buy you a new one with my piss wheel. <laughs> What's your, uh, What's your favorite time of year? Summer. A lot of people say summer. Summer. I, I prefer National Pet Dental Health Month. <laughs> it's a real thing. There's just not as many parades. Surprisingly, the people who wear camouflage are the ones that stand out the most in a crowd. <laughs> I rank my charisma somewhere between a tortoise and a dead tortoise. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that orangutan that escaped from the zoo? Yeah. In a container full of orange chicken from Panda Express? How else do you explain the taste? Oh. <laughs> a lot of people think computers are gonna take over the world, but I kinda disagree. To test that, I had a computer generate this next joke. What did the motherboard say to the keyboard? You just my type. <laughs> See, computers can do anything, so <laughs> I think uh, horror films could use a lot more pregnancy scares. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> Not enough of that in Hollywood. <laughs> greatest escape was from his mortal coil. <laughs> People who saw it happen started clapping, which is weird, it's on the dots. He did it. Where did he go? Nobody knows. <laughs> I think I'd be a good divorce photographer. <laughs> Divorces, I could just be myself. 
I'd probably get bad reviews though. Uh, it took him. It took him 20 years to do one time lapse of my marriage falling apart. <laughs> I could probably get to work quicker if I just bought myself from Amazon every day. <laughs> the same day delivery. I just gotta remember to check the box that says not to ship myself in multiple packages. <laughs> and can you believe somebody gave me a one-star review? It was me. <laughs> I gotta leave room for improvement, right? <laughs> Similar reviews to the pistols on Amazon. But a five-star product is a guillotine. The inventor of the guillotine found success in both the idea and the execution. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like an actor up there, doing my lines. I wasn't as nervous as I thought I'd be. In the middle of the routine, I felt the power of pausing to let the audience laugh. It was like playing an instrument. Honestly though, I didn't feel that much of a rush in the moment, especially compared to my first improv show the night before. Afterward, I hung out with everyone who came to support me. They quoted my jokes, and I started to feel more of a buzz. How did my classmate Andrew feel about that night? I thought that it was tough because I went up first, and I remember just kind of having that moment of knowing enough about comedy to be like, okay, going first is like not ideal. But I think that my material went well. I think the people that I brought out to support me that night were extra friendly. But as far as my first five minutes presenting to a crowd, I think that I kept my composure pretty well. And all the people that came out that I knew were very positive and supportive, which felt really great afterwards. You know, whether that is just being supportive no matter what, or if it really, if it really did make them laugh. Months later, I ran into Andrew, and he started to introduce me to his friend. Before he finished, she said, I remember you. You're really funny. That felt pretty cool. I asked Andrew if he noticed a change in me. I feel like you and I were in the same boat when we started the class in terms of like just not really knowing what we were doing. So I would say your growth grew on a technical level a lot and then just like that confidence social level to think about you standing up there with the mic. When I first met you in improv a couple months beforehand, I feel like that's just a different person and I think that's really cool and a testament to just hard work and showing up and being open to, to what can happen when you go out and put yourself out there. Doing stand-up was a blur, but I loved how it felt to have done stand-up. For years, I had been building up this idea that stand-up would be a huge rush. A rush like I saw Rich Scheidner have in I Am Comic. And then I didn't feel a rush like that. Why? I decided to reach out to the director of I Am Comic, Jordan Brady. And he put me in touch with comedian Rich Scheidner. I love doing it in the moment. It, it, there was nothing in my life that put me more in the moment where I wasn't regretting the past or fearing the future or anything, anything. I was completely in the moment, like my only 
concern was what I was going to do next or how they were reacting, what I was doing. There was nothing like that. There was never had anything like that in my life. It was a total addiction. And it hit me, and I just... I just was in love immediately immediate with that feeling of laughter. I just wanted to hear large groups of people laughing. There's, there's a thrill in that. It's, it's alchemy. It's, it's turning lead into gold. You know, these dumb ideas late at night and I'm mocking some commercial or whatever. Or had an idea of watching somebody do something stupid and I write it down. And then I go on stage and a group of people who I'd never met before, who never met each other before, all come together and agree that it's a funny thing and they laugh. That's pretty spectacular. Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up, features the line, On stage, I was no longer the funniest I ever was. What if the funniest I'd ever be was ten years ago? Or five years ago? Or today? How do I know? Did I miss my opportunity? Where would I be right now if I had started stand-up when I was in college? hanging out at Brewster's Comedy Club in Peoria. Rich Scheidner kept doing stand-up after his comeback in I Am Comic. He'd been performing since the 1970s. But... Comics, we have that fear that we could lose the funny. Whatever that little thing is that makes us funny and, and we have that ability to make people laugh and they find something humorous about us, whatever that is, I'm not really 100% sure what it is for me, there's a fear of, like, I could just lose it, lose the touch, I guess is what it is, lose the touch. And I've talked to other great comedians, too, that, that fear. I don't think that great guitarists or great musicians wake up going, I think I better grab that instrument because I'm not sure if I can remember how to play it today. I mean, they got to practice, obviously, but that just fear of completely losing your skill that I know I've talked to a lot of comics, that there's that little nagging thing, you know. Unless you're going on all the time, then you have the confidence. To me, it's a muscle. You're in shape. You're not in shape. You're one or the other. You have to just keep doing it. Did my classmate Andrew keep doing stand-up? No, is the most honest answer. For me right now, I really enjoy improv a lot, and things are going so well, and I'm having so much fun kind of maxing out improv and sketch that I haven't really put stand-up as a focus. But Andrew never stopped performing. He's since completed courses at I.O. Chicago, and the comedy writing and music improv programs at Second City. After my stand-up showcase, I kept thinking, how do I follow it up? I was able to get laughs in a safe environment. It's all downhill after this. I'm afraid of having an off night. I don't want to deal with hecklers. I asked my friend Jimmy Chung. Did you ever run into any hecklers? I did. That is a great question that was not expecting. <laughs> I've run into hecklers just walking on the street, man. Just It's always a race thing with me. And uh, I was born here. I don't have an accent from what I can tell, but I've been told that. And, uh, you know, I get Bruce Lee all the time. I get asked if I do martial arts just standing there um, waiting for, a, you know, a ride or wherever I'm going. People just walk up to me and say all kinds of rude stuff so you can imagine me being on stage i'm an easy target you know like, hey bruce lee what's going on tell us your next joke it's like it can be pretty disheartening you know so i think that kind of hated me too and i'm just not the type of guy to just go off on another heckler you know I, you know they paid money to come here and i'm not gonna go off like, oh well what about you buddy and 
start making fun of them, you know, so I just don't have the wit for that, <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't know why people feel the need to do that to me, but that kind of warned me, if I'm going to be honest with you. Wow. I, it was an unexpected question, and that was an unexpected answer, and I can't believe that people do that. It's the lowest thing you can do, and it's the super easiest thing that you can say to somebody like me. And so you want to make fun of me, come up with something really good. And then, here's the thing, I can't argue with ignorant people, and uh, if you somewhat have some intelligence, we can argue, we can make fun of each other, but if you're just going to come after me with some martial arts or some slant-eye, or some Asian joke that you've thought of and I heard of in third grade. It's just not going to do me anything. and It's just going to wear me down. And it, it did. It was part of the reason where, you know, if you're going to go in front of a large group of people, about 75% of them are going to be just looking to tear me down, I guess. I don't know. So that little anxiety-inducing as well. Jimmy Chung went from music to magic to stand-up. And after a long journey, he's now a union actor. And you know what it is, man? I think it's admitting to ourselves that we have found it. Because I think there's this embarrassment factor that we're that we're dealing with, you and me, maybe. I think maybe just me, but you let me know if you can agree with me. If this is it, my thing, expressing myself through art, then I found this a long time ago, and I was just kidding myself. And I wasn't admitting to it because I was afraid what everyone else thought of me, like my parents, my family. If I'm going to be honest here, I found this stuff a long time ago, but I was always holding back on myself and never truly diving in, you know, like you are with your podcast right now, with I am with the acting thing. If I was honest with myself, this is my thing. I, I, I want to do this, and I enjoy it, and I feel good when I do it, despite all the hardships. I would have went full on years ago, but there's this, what, there's this need to not upset people around me that, like, you know, that that affected me, and uh, it slowed things down. I could have made a lot more failures in the beginning and gotten further had I just admitted to myself that I loved art, and I like doing this. I like expressing myself through this. Yeah. I mean, I I can relate to all of those things because that's the way that I was thinking about what do other people think about this or I can't do that because of this, because of that and other people's opinions. And yeah, it, it's definitely something that slows you down because you're not able to just commit to something, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to, but it's like, man, it's like, maybe you don't think about it. I wonder what people think about me. I don't think it's that blatant, but it's something in the back of our heads where we're slightly embarrassed and a little bit of a shame that we're not like everybody else and we can't really fake that either. So we're silently doing what we want to do. Hopefully no one finds out about it until we're super successful. <laughs> I put 20 years worth of writing, observations, and training into my showcase. And now I'm having a hard time starting from scratch. I did well once, but I don't know how to get back up there again. I feel worn down. So much has changed. In the months after that showcase, both of my parents passed away. I don't know how to be funny. I was nervous about my parents going to the showcase. 
I told my mom that my classmates might do controversial stuff. It'd probably be better if they didn't go. I wish I hadn't told them not to go. I was able to show them the video before they passed. At least they got to see it. I finally did it. I got up there on stage alone, just me and my jokes, and people laughed. It's like taking something I'd always been worried about, people judging and laughing at me, and flipping it. See, I don't have to worry about you laughing at me or judging me because I want you to laugh at me. I want you to judge me, and I'm okay with it. I had nothing to fear anymore. But there's a sadness to that idea, to not feel comfortable in your own skin, to rely on others to validate you and your ideas. I think it's dangerous to measure my self-worth by being funny, because when I stop being funny, I become worthless. Because if people don't like my jokes, they don't like me. I tried to sit down and write new jokes, but the hardest part is the nagging voice in my head that won't let me fully commit. What about money? What's your job? What about insurance? Bills to pay? Make it work. Don't fail. This is your shot. You'll never be this young again. And I crumbled. I crumbled under the weight of these thoughts. 2018 has started, and I still haven't performed stand-up since that night in August 2016. Maybe it comes down to wants. What if I want more than just jokes? My friend Jimmy Chung could tell. You're super critical, and so am I. And uh, it's pretty unreasonable to be great right out of the gate. We both know that, but yet we still expect that of ourselves to the point where we're afraid to go back out again. I mean, let me ask you this, though. Maybe, I don't know if we're in the same place with this, but what about, like, life experience? I, per I personally think I don't have much of it, but, like, you have been through a lot like, recently. You just told me with your family, been through some turmoil, and I can't imagine. But that's the kind of stuff people want to hear. You know what I mean? That I mean, Are you willing to, not necessarily to tell jokes, but to expose yourself and let people in on who you are? You, you love stories. I love stories. If I saw you on stage and I didn't know who you were and you were ready to talk about you know, your life and your, your dad and like a certain thing that happened where you wouldn't even need lines to memorize. I would listen to that. I'd be on the edge of my seat. There's something to that. Uh, you know, I wouldn't just keep your narrow scope on comedy because maybe you can branch into something more, which you obviously are. Yeah, I do want to try to, you know, include other voices and different stories because I think that's how we can relate to people and empathize with people is just hearing their story and feeling what they felt. I had done stand-up. And even if I never do it again, I can still call myself a stand-up comedian.
Thanks for listening to Season 3, Episode 2. There may not be another one. Man Afraid of Everything is me, Jed. You can find more episodes at getafraid.com. Once again, that incredible music was provided by composer Matt McGinley. Theme music by FF Low Beats. Thanks to Marla Martinez and Katie for helping with the edit. Thanks to our instructor Chris, Second City, and my classmates for their feedback. Thanks to Jimmy Chung and Andrew Lemna. Jimmy's latest appearance was on Chicago Fire. Thanks to Logan and everyone I met along the way. Huge thanks to Jordan Brady and Rich Scheidner. Check out Rich's book, Kicking Through the Ashes. If you like the show, subscribe and tell a friend. 